0: This is Susanna Hills podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. It's been a wonderful time to be together. And uh, it's my privilege to kind of close this out a bit. I have a simple goal that every single one of you in this room would embrace the idea that you can change the world. Um, That in the power of the Holy Spirit, something dynamic, something powerful can flow out of every individual. I think the challenge that we often have when it comes to thinking big dreams or dreaming big dreams is that somehow we think that there are inhibiting factors in our lives that make us a little bit different from anyone else. God can use you, but He can't really use me. And uh, I want to break that down and then I want to give you some practical tools to kind of let you head out home and become an agent of change in the world. I want to talk about the world. I really want to talk about your world. Because I think when we talk often, we think, oh, well, that's just too, too big. But actually, it begins with something that God wants to do immediately around you. He wants to use you to bring transformation and change in your space. If you were a little Jewish uh, boy, You'd be growing up like Jesus did in a small community. The average life expectancy in Bethsaida and the region was about 35 years old. People worked exceptionally hard. And you would uh, be let loose to the Hassan, the leader of the synagogue, at about the age of five or six. They'd take you through to be taught. And you'd be taught the law. And uh, you would, um, the first thing they would do to you, they'd give you a little tablet. And they would smear honey on it. And this was your tablet for your whole kind of learning experience. And you were to lick the tablet. And lick the honey off the tablet. Because the words of the Lord were like honey in the mouth. And everything we write down is like honey. You know where we get these beautiful scriptures about honey in the scriptures? It really comes from a Jewish educational idea. That the words of God are beautiful and sweet to the taste. The most sweet thing in the culture was honey. Was the sweet of the day. Um, I once did a teaching on this, and I, I, I love licorice of all sorts, as you can probably see. Uh, and, and I handed out licorice all sorts to everybody. I said, Well, it's, you know, the, the sweetest thing you can think of. Those are the words of God. The power of God's words in our mouth. The power of His word to bring transformation and life to us. Most amazing thing. Anyway, a little kid would would arrive at about five or six, go into the schooling system, would be taught by the leader of the local synagogue till about the age of 12. At 12 years old, the official education of anyone really stopped. If you were exceptional, bright, 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 you could quote the Old Testament forwards and backwards. Off by heart, you were bright, bright. Uh, You would normally be picked up by a rabbi who would pick you up for further education. There were lots of these individuals around in Jewish history, and a rabbi would pick you up, and you would be instructed to carry his message, his yoke, his idea, his teaching out into the world. So you would give yourself, and he would want the brightest of the bright, because he wouldn't want that to go wrong. It makes sense, right? You wouldn't want some uh, silly, you know, dim-witted person Sharing your message to the world in a way that was wrong. So he picked the best of the best. Anyway, Jesus is walking along the lakeshore. James and John are working with their dad on the boat, busy mending nets. And as he walks by, he sees the boys working, boys, and he says to them, "Come, follow me. I have a couple of questions about that. I'm thinking to myself, why didn't you ask the dad?" Think what makes these boys just? I mean, this is his labor force. This is his. So we just grab two boys. You've got to understand the culture a little bit. To be pecked by a rabbi was an incredible privilege. The dad would have been boasting the next day in, this, in the gate, saying, My boys were picked. Can you believe it? A rabbi walked by and he picked them. And so here these two boys get added to the team, and, and Matthew. The tax collector dad, who has his son working in his business, uh, he gets picked. and, And all these, I want to call them rejects, because the fact that they were working with their fathers tells us something about the boys that Jesus picked. They weren't smart enough, Basically. They weren't put into the normal education system. They lost out. At about the age of 12, they went back into work in their dad's business, and they're busy working in the dad's business, which was their life's work, and it was hard work, and it would probably kill them by the age of 35-odd. This is what these disciples were doing. So these were boys. These were teenagers. How do I, how do I know that they were teenagers? Well, a little bit later on in the story, Jesus, the rabbi, who's, who's the, the, the old man in the story, really, uh, is responsible for these boys. Uh, he would normally pick one slightly older guy to kind of keep an eye on them, and who would kind of be there, you know, carry the word whenever a question was asked. That guy's Peter, the only old guy in the team, or older guy in the team, and because that would be what rabbis do. And so he'd pick an older guy, and Peter's the older guy on the team, and 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 as they go into the synagogue, uh, I mean, into into Jerusalem, they have to pay temple tax. It's what you have to do. If you're over the age of 19, you must pay temple tax to come into the temple. And uh, he doesn't have the money at the time. The rabbi always pays for the disciples. He doesn't have the money, so they fish a fish, remember? They pick a coin out of its mouth, and what does Jesus say? Go and pay the temple tax for Peter and I. Everybody else on Jesus' team is under the age of 19. They're all teenagers. They're, re- they're, not, they're not just teenagers. They are rejected teenagers. They're not smart enough to go to university. They're not smart enough to carry a message of anybody of any significance. They are rejected. I want you to see that right up front, because sometimes I think we think that these men, old bearded guys sitting at the table. Having communion with Jesus at the Last Supper, you know the Da Vinci picture. I've been, I've seen it, and and that's the picture we have in our heads. These are young teenage boys that catch the heart of Jesus, get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and absolutely transform the world. These are normal, average Joes. Nothing special about them. Nothing to set them aside as something extraordinary. Paul was probably the more extraordinary person in the story of the New Testament. A very well-scholored, well-thought, had a proper, proper, ongoing education, was incredibly well-learned, but the disciples were not. And I want you to put yourself into the story a little bit because Jesus has a habit of picking those kind of people, just like you and I. and says, I want you to join me in this mission to transform the world. I'm, I'm not sure how you see yourself. But let me tell you, I have, on most occasions in my life, I found myself sitting back and thinking, Jesus, I'm unbelievably inadequate for this. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. God told us to build a building, a very large building. And and I remember sitting up on the stands. They'd just finished building the balcony and there was nothing. No roof, no nothing, no floor. And I'm sitting up on a balcony. That's all that's finished of the building. And I'm sitting up at the back of the balcony. I'm shaking like a leaf. And I'm thinking, what on earth made me think this was God? I'm shaking like a leaf. There's no faith in me. And God settles me down and says, you heard me right, boy. You see... It's often we think, it's, it's, you know, God, God will use the, the confident, the powerful, the orators, the, you know, these, these people, oh, they'll change the world. And, and many of the pastors that we have in our pulpits, you know, they, they, they affirm that picture, that they are special people. Well, I'm here to tell you today, I, I'm certainly not special. And I would not anybody else who's preached here would declare to you that they're particularly special or particularly good. We we just love Jesus. And He's looked at us and says, My boy, would you come follow me? I, I don't know why he picked me as a young man, but I know in this moment God is putting his finger right in the middle of your forehead and said, Would you give the rest of your life, whatever's left of it, to serving my purpose, to changing the world for the sake of the king? Would you start an adventure? A personal adventure for you, right here, right now, and say yes to Jesus. I want everyone in this room. I'm not asking you to give up your job and, and you know, stop doing what you're doing. I, I, I'm just saying the adventure begins right here. It begins right now. It begins right in the place you're in. God can use you in an amazing way. His, um, Eddie, sorry, I've got to dry mouth. got to get there. But the the X right. Now, Eddie I planted a church with Eddie. Eddie is a strange man in that he can't look up, he just looks at the floor all the time. I I don't know why why Eddie has grown up always looking down. I keep saying to him I am I'm, I'm I'm ministering, I said, Eddie, you know, look at your people. Stop looking at the floor all the time. You know, just look up a little bit, you know, Jesus lifted your eyes, you know, look up, and, and, and so Eddie and I, who is a broken man, has absolutely nothing in this world, at all, we planted a local church together, him and I, <laughs> so, so we're about, I don't know, we're a couple of months in, and it's my time, turn to arrive with Eddie, I'm now arriving, I'm, I'm, I'm arriving, and he says, hey, Pete, when you are here with the church, won't you do communion and stuff, and I said, yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. So, so I'm in, and we, we have a tent and a thing, and there are people, and people got saved. I'm honestly thinking, as Eddie stands up and introduces and says hi to the church and does his thing, I'm thinking, who wants to follow Eddie? Because his eyes are still on the ground. And I'm thinking, this is awkward. But here's a bunch of people who have discovered the life of Jesus Christ under a man who cannot lift his eyes. I keep trying to get him to lift his eyes. Welcome in Gubane. Wonderful young man. Lost his wife and family because he was falsely accused of raping a 13-year-old girl. Landed up in jail. Was on probation while the law case was going on. And eventually the girl said, no, we just put the statement out to, to trap you and ask you for money. So it was proved wrong. In the meantime, he's lost his wife, he's lost his daughter, walked away from him. Welcome and I have a coffee together. We're sitting and we're discussing about what God could possibly do with a jailbird like Welcome. Still got a thing hanging over him. The the judgment hasn't gone away from him. And uh, Welcome and I end up planting a church in a little place called Nazareth. And... And his wife comes back into his life and he's reconciled to her and to his daughter. And his family come back together and there's a local church serving Jesus. I'm thinking, how could could you possibly say God could not use you? Look at who God uses. Look at what his track record is. If you you can't get a man to speak the right word, he'll use a donkey. donkey. The man didn't want to prophesy, he uses the donkey to prophesy. God's choice is absolutely amazing. So I want to look at at just a few heroes in the Scriptures and and give you a couple of marching orders for this call that you have on your life. Um, And I want to leave a couple of things that I think have been incredibly important to me out of these heroes of the faith's journey in the Scripture. And the first hero, when I look at him, is Samuel, this journey that he has, and and I I, I want to say my first thought for you is say yes more than no. When you walk out and want to change the world, don't let your posture be no, and says please convince me, let your posture be yes first. So many Christians, so many leaders have to be convinced to say yes. Their posture is not yes, their posture is no, convince me. And I'm telling you, world changes. Posture is yes, always. You'll have a go. I mean, even if it's wrong, we'll have a go. 1 Samuel 3.10, And the Lord came and stood calling as at the other time. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your servant hears. Lean into the idea that if you want to change the world, the posture of your life has to be Yes not no. You don't have to be convinced. You don't have some sermon, some special anointing, some special person tell you that it's okay. Your posture is first yes, not no. One of the key lessons of my life, when first I was asked to preach in front of adult people, you know, adult human beings like you. I was uh, 17 years old. I don't ever preach to young people. And somebody asked me to come and preach at a church, and I knew this was no small church. A Presbyterian church down in Pinetown. And they had lots of people, lots of adults. And I thought, I, I don't want to preach to adults. I want to preach to young people. And, 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 but I'd, I'd learned that, that my first answer is yes. And I said yes. I said, so the, the minister from down there calls me, and I said, will you come and preach? I said, Yes. And then I put the phone down, and I think, oh, I changed my mind almost immediately. (laughs) What did I just say yes to? And I went and preached down in that church. I have no idea what I said. I can't remember to this day. I think I was so nervous. No idea what came out of my mouth. But God used it. What's your posture? God challenges you to go and prophesy over someone. What's your posture? God says, come and make a contribution to the life of the church. What's your posture? God says, give all your money away. What's your posture? God says, I'm sending you to another part of the world. What's your posture? I'm sending you out to plant a church. What's your posture? Your posture first needs to be yes, not maybe in a few years' time, maybe when my life is sorted, maybe when I got some stuff squared away. No, like these young boys, At the oceans, when Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the master, says, come, follow me, our posture is yes. Yes, I'll go. Second person of faith or hero is Caleb. And I know to the pastors, I chatted about it the other day. But I I love the faith of Caleb. Because I think if we want to change the world, it, there has to be a faith journey for us. It can't be taking. I, I don't want to take hills. I want to take mountains. How about you? Uh, who wants a hill? We can have a mountain. Uh, and and here is an 85 year old guy who says, "I'm as strong today as I ever was. Give me my mountain." Joshua 14:10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as He said. These 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today. I don't know whether he was actually as strong. But in his heart he was. In his heart he could swing the sword still. As I was that day, Moses sent me my strength. Now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and for coming. So now give me this whole country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim was there with the great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Give me my mountain. Give it to me. I am convinced that when you begin a journey of wanting to change the world, there is always a mountain. There's always faith. Nothing comes except by faith. Without faith, Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must believe. There must be faith in your heart. This is not about you. It's not about your ability. It's about God. It's about the size of who he is and what's possible. There has to be faith in you that you have a Caleb spirit in us. The third hero when I read the scriptures is is Timothy for me. And Timothy speaks to me about the grace of God because really Timothy in the history and in the pattern of how God chooses people, Timothy falls right in line. A rejected young boy. A mamza is what you would call him in the language of the day, which means he is a mixed race person. Jewish mother, Greek father, unthinkable in the day. If you do that, you condemn your children to be outcasts for the rest of their life. So much so that Timothy could not go to school. He had to be homeschooled by his grand. So here's a young boy. He's never been able to play with other kids. He's completely rejected in society. He can't go to school. And he's standing in a crowd while Paul is preaching in Lystra. And as he preaches, he gets stoned outside the city, comes back out, raised from the dead when the believers stand around, comes out of the pile of stones and goes back into the city, bruised, broken, probably a couple of broken legs and arms, and stands there and continues to preach. And in the crowd, in that space, is a young man called Timothy. Maybe there's some Timothy's outcast, rejected people. In the room. And Timothy, because Paul spots him and says, come, follow me as I follow Christ. And Timothy gets to lead the foremost church of the day in the New York of the world. Timothy, the broken outcast. Nobody would touch him. Don't come and tell me God cannot use people or that he cannot use you to change the world. When he picks people like Timothy, the grace of God speaks even today over your life. We have to lean into his grace. The other couple of heroes I see in the scriptures have already been mentioned here from the pulpit. is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three boys who says, hey, we're not going to go with the flow. And sometimes changing the world demands that you do not go with the flow. Because the flow says, just stick with everybody else. It's easier. Daniel 3.16, and Shadok, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if it is not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I want to say to you, everyone in this room, sometimes you've got to go against the flow. I'm not saying you've got to be dangerous or you've got to do dangerous things. But I'm saying we cannot live in this nation with fear. Some of you never put yourselves into the townships of the cities. You live full of fear. You live behind burglar guards and with alarms. I'm not against burglar guards or alarms. If that makes you happy, God bless you. I've never liked them, never wanted them. Because I don't want to live in fear. Let me say this to you. No day can be taken away from me. No day. When my day comes, my day comes, and I will go home to be with Jesus. If that's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. But I'm not going to live my life in fear. Somehow that the fear of losing my life can somehow trap me and hold me back from doing the thing God calls me to do. Driving down the street, I'm going to pray and minister with a man who's just had 30,000 people go past his home carrying fridges and things from the, remember those things that went through KZN? where people were riding and doing all sorts of things, and they'd gone right through the bottom of his property. His name is Clement Ndabe. Now, I love Clement. He's a wonderful man, and, and I can hear in his voice, he needs someone to come and be with him. I'm that man. And I get in the car, I drive into the townships, and there are people Everywhere, there are tires burning, there's stuff. Every person that is stopping me, I'm thinking, this car is going to have stones thrown on it any minute. Every person that stops me, I said, I'm here to pray with my friend. Or oh, the moment they hear I'm a pastor, it's like the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> so you can always use that. I'm called by the king, I'm a pastor. Straight for you. Anyway, people are everywhere. Stuff's burning. They've set the shopping center on fire. That's right next to his home. And I drive in past all of that, through all the people, and I park at his house, and I get in, and Clement and I kneel on the floor, and we pray together. You need not fear for your life. And sometimes you just got to go against the flow. I'm not saying you've got to be reckless. You've got to do stupid things. But like these people, you've got to be prepared to go against the flow every now and again if you want to change the world. The fifth thought I have is that we have to develop a life of passion. Stephen speaks to me of passion. Um, Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, and Stephen, (coughs) full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of those from Scythia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Don't you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll pick it up later. Here's a young man, another young man, by the way, full of grace, full of power. I have had the privilege through my ministry life, which has been long, of seeing many young men stand behind pulpits like these and preach for the first time. Because I opened the door for them to preach. I said, come, preach. So normally I would give them ten minutes, and then another young man and another young man a little bit, and then I would wrap it up. That's more or less how it goes. And I said, have a go. Anyway, several of those young men stand up behind the pulpit to have a go, and they're quite nervous like I would be nervous if I was that young man. And they kind of work their way through the Scriptures and through what they prepared. But here's an encouragement to all of you. You may lack depth. You may lack experience. You may lack ability. But never lack passion. Passion for Jesus. Passion for the cross. There is nothing worse than seeing a young man timidly behind the pulpit trying to deliver a word with zero passion. I said, if ever there was an oxymoron, that's it. <laughs> you are young. You lack experience. You don't have much, but passion surely is one of them. That's you that have plenty of. May I encourage you? that a passionate love for Jesus Christ, I don't want to lose it. I'm, I mean, I'm 60, and, 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 and I don't want to lose my passion for Jesus. Ever. I, 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 as long as my legs will carry me, as long as there is voice in me, I want to worship Jesus, I want to be passionate about the gospel, I want to preach passionately if you will listen. I, I love the passion of Stephen. They are heroes of the faith in the scriptures that should speak to us about how we ought to conduct our lives. Let me just say, as a leader of a local church, as an elder for many years and now leading in multiple contexts, I will forgive almost anything. But lack of passion is not one of them. You can say a lot of rubbish. I'll forgive that. But if you have no passion for Jesus, you may only be up here once. Stephen, full, full, young man, full. Who is he? He's nobody. He's just serving tables. He's nobody. But full of passion. They could not even withstand him, it says. They try to trip him up, try to think, but his passion was so overwhelming, so persuasive, that they couldn't do anything with him other than stone him. That was the end of his life. And Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. There's only one time, by the way, in the whole of the scriptures that Jesus stands. Once, when Stephen is being stoned. Whenever I'm in a bit of trouble, I always imagine Jesus coming off the throne. My boy. Don't you like that idea? One of my boys. Stones are flying. He says, he looks up into heaven. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I think, oh man, he only stands once. It's powerful. You're never alone. Never on your own think, oh, this is, you're called by the King to serve his purposes. As insufficient as you think you may be, as weak as you think you, may, you are, as, as lack wisdom as you think you may be or have, whatever it is you think is lacking, potentially Jesus stands for you. Two more. Pay, pay the private price. There's always a private price to pay. Jotham, this young boy who became king as a young boy, even before he was a teenager, he became king. This is what the Scripture says about Jotham when he became king. Second 2 Chronicles 27.6. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his way before the Lord. There's no shortcuts. You can fool a lot of people with passion, with charisma, with stuff. You can. But ultimately, it's going to find you out. Because if there's no roots, if there's nothing going on on the inside, the hollowness of your own relationship with Jesus is going to be found out. So get on your face before God, listen to Him, spend time with Him, open up your heart to Him, sing. I, I I'm a singer. I, I, I've got a little thing with my voice at the moment, so I'm struggling to sing, and it's frustrating. I'm a singer. I love to sing. I worship the Lord. i I sing to the birds, I sing to everything. I whistle wherever I can go. Why? Why? Because the public stuff, that's one thing. I'm a big guy. I seem to overwhelm people a bit, so they get a bit afraid of me. And I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I'm powerful and, and, and kind of a bit forceful with people. I, so people get a little, okay, don't get too close to him. He's also an introvert, so we're not to mess with him too much. I don't know what it is. I give, that, I give off that vibe. Uh, that public thing. I don't care about the public thing. I have someone who already likes me. He loves me. I have, I have an... Prince, I want to say this to you. I have an acceptance already. The only acceptance that matters. He's accepted me and he loves me. And if you don't square that away, you'll start fighting for prominence and position. And why are people not using me? I'm so gifted. I have such a beautiful voice and they're not letting me into the worship team. Why are you waiting for everybody else? Why don't you just let God affirm his call on your life? Why don't you just let God do his work? Because the stuff we need to do in private is what makes heroes in the world. Last one. And I've referenced it several times through my various contributions over this time. And that is, do what he says. If we want to be heroes of the faith, if we want to be added to the list of heroes that are mentioned in the Scriptures, we have to be those that do whatever he says. Sometimes it's inconvenient to do what he says. When he tells you things that you think, You know, it just makes you swallow once or twice. (laughs) Really? That? I remember my dad. I was uh, 11 years old, turning 12. My 12th birthday, birthday was in Barcelona, Spain. I remember it so clearly because we had sold everything we owned in Denmark and put all five kids into a Volvo, an orange Volvo, and we drove to Africa. That's my parents. They're nuts. <laughs> but that's what happens when God calls you. You do nutty things. Because I want you to go. And up we go, and we get on a boat in Barcelona, and we go all the way down to Cape Town. And, and, and my mom, and I'm the oldest of five kids. My sister was two or three years old. Susanna, she leads the church with Tony in... Johannesburg. And, 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 and my mom is fretting over these kids running around on a ship. You can only imagine. And um, somebody's going to fall over the side somewhere. And, and we were boys. We, we were a little naughty at times. And there were three of us. There were the older three. My brother's one year younger than me. And my other brother's one year younger than that. So we were all kind of a pack. And, um, and we're sitting, a whole family, in this bottom of a ship, because we're in third class. They used to have classes back then. And we're sitting down in third class on a cabin with all bunks. And my dad says, can we pray that the Lord will let us off in Cape Town with our car? So we're sitting here as a family praying in this. Remember, what happens in private, what's going on, that matters when you hear his voice. So my dad goes to the captain, goes to the organizers of the, sh- the cruise the, of the ship as we're traveling down. We're going to Baira mo- over on the other side of, of Africa and driving in to Zambia from there. But it's just too far. He says, can we get off this? said, "No, it's impossible. Your car's loaded in order, so we have to offload everything to get your car out. That's not going to happen. So here we are sitting in a cabin down in the bottom of a ship. And we pray as a family to God, Give us a way to get off the ship. Come into Cape Town Harbor. And this ship drops its propeller, its prop in Cape Town. It falls off into the harbor. They know exactly where it is. So they park the ship with a couple of tugboats in Cape Town. And we have a holiday for a few weeks. While they look for the prop, they can't find it. We're asking God to hide it from them. We are. We are. We feel this is, this is our way, we're going to get off. They end up paying for all of us, except for my dad and my brother, who drove the car up from Cape Town to Zambia, and the rest of us all flown at the cost of the company to Zambia from Cape Town. Do what he says. The most amazing adventures await. And so many of us have such few stories, so few things. In our lives, so little, because there's so little miraculous going on in us because we're not hearing his voice and we're not doing what he says. John 2, 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Regular water, regular jars become a miracle in the hands of Jesus. The beauty of your life is that if you're willing to take your two fish and five loaves, and put it into the hands of Jesus, it can feed 5,000. If you keep it in your hands, it's just fish and bread. It's nothing. And the most amazing part of the story is that when they collect all the extras at the end, there are 12 baskets left over, one for every tribe, enough for everyone. And they also go across to the Decapolis. There's 10 cities. This is a Gentile Decapolis. Another miracle happens there. 4,000 people are fed. When they pick up the extra baskets there, 10 baskets are left over. Enough for every city. If you take your not enough and put it into the hands of the one who is enough, your not enough can become more than enough for everyone. That's how the world is changed. That's what happens when we say yes. That's what happens when we hear his voice. So Samuel... Is a boy. Timothy is an outcast. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, a group of friends in a foreign country. Stephen, a church volunteer. Jotham, a young man given great responsibility. Servants, a couple of waiters, earning extra cash at a wedding. Don't ever say again that God cannot use you. Don't ever say again, God has not called me. Because he seems to specialize in calling people like you. It seems to be his game. Seems to be what he does. And so here today, over this audience, out of this northwest equip, are a bunch of people sitting in an audience, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, saying, let's change the world. You say, well, how am I going to change the world? Why don't we start with yours? Why don't we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Why don't we apply some of these things? Lean into the idea of saying yes. Some of you need to start youth groups. Some of you need to start life groups. Some of you need to step in and become elders and deacons and step up. And this is the moment that God's called you. Just say yes. Just lean in. This is the time. So I'm done. bunch of teenagers. Rather afraid, to be honest. They're probably in their late teens now, sitting in an upper room. I don't even think they developed beards yet. Maybe some of them had. Certainly Peter probably had. And they're hanging out in that room and they are praying with a bunch of other people, probably also quite young. And the Spirit of the Lord comes and lands upon them fills them. And suddenly they understand what is the purpose of their life. It's to be gospel proclaimers. To allow this message to touch everyone everywhere. And nothing is going to stop them. That day, 30,000, 3,000, and within a week probably 30,000 people joined the church. That day, three. I mean, Have you seen 3,000 people get saved in one day? I have not. I've heard of it. But these teenagers saw it. What are we going to see out of your life? The Caleb's in the room. The people that feel my best season is behind me. God's got a new mountain for you. God's got a new faith mountain for you. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.